Hey, before we get started in this episode, I want to be transparent about what you may find out about Nassim's band from ASIC as a financial advisor. This is an ongoing case in which he has submitted Appeal 4 and due to contractual non-disclosure reasons, he is not able to share more details about this. I met him through my accountant and his story is one that I truly feel you'll find very interesting. So enjoy. Growing up in a, in a country like Cairo and also moving around and traveling, it gives you that mind of flexibility and adaptability. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with founder of Accord Partners, Daniel Nassim. He helps clients manage their finances and invest in property in the smartest way possible. We'll delve into his amazing story about his first property, how it was the first and the best time of his journey and much, much more. Daniel Nassim is the founder of Accord Partners, a business that helps its clients manage their finances in the smartest way possible. We learn about what a typical day looks like for him. My day usually starts about 6.30 in the mornings. You know, when you have kids, your day normally starts earlier and earlier as soon as they wake up. <laughs> Divided into three sections, uh, basically health, family and work. So I normally start with a quick exercise in the morning if I have time, then spend some time with my daughter before taking her to school. Then my work normally start about 8.30 to about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening and my work day usually divided 50-50 between meeting with clients and assisting clients with their investment needs. Also, another 50% with business partners. We delve further into his background and we find out about where he grew up as a child. I grew up actually in Cairo, Egypt. So this is where I went to school and then I moved to London to finish my Bachelor of Civil and Structural Engineering and then moved to Australia. So how long were you in Egypt before you moved to London? All my high education was in Cairo up until 20, 20 years of age and then moved to London to finish uni. He talks about what it was like to live in Cairo and some of the differences he's found between there and Australia. It's uh, definitely a lot more populated than uh, Sydney. Um, went to a school in um, uh, like a small suburb in Cairo, which is about 5k from the CBD, downtown Cairo. Um, we had about at the time 40 kids in a classroom, uh, fairly con 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 uh, busy, I guess. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, my mum and dad um, had pro education, so they really encouraged us to excel at school, uh, helped us quite a bit. And um, I, I wasn't the brightest, but certainly I wasn't the slowest. You never know when a qualification you achieve through education might come in handy. And that's something he learned from his parents. In a country like Egypt, you cannot move ahead until you are well-educated, not only well-educated, but also have the life experience behind you as well. So always my dad uh, made it uh, quite clear from when we were young that we um, we go out with him to his work and um, see what he does. And he all, he was also a property investor and whatever. So he always sort of 
took me with him to various uh, properties that he was building at the time and go and collect rent and, and when I grow up a little bit, go and deal with tenants and so forth to give us that real life experiences and how to be a little bit independent from us, from from them. Uh, help us a little bit to also gain um, that sort of uh, what he had to go through uh, in his life. But more importantly, because, uh, you know, when you have too much competition, you need to have that qualification behind you, not only qualification, but also be highly qualified. So bachelor is not even enough. Uh, in some cases, you had to do even, you know, master's or, or PhD just to get ahead. We find out a little bit more about his father's background and where his fascination from property came from. My family came from um, land holding, so my grandparents were farmers, so they actually had quite a bit of land. My father brought up on the land and he brought up sort of loving that sort of land slash property uh, side of things. When you uh, grow up in the land, you have that connection with the land itself. So he loved sort of buying land and, you know, either developing or farming or whatever. Obviously, he found that property investments and building uh, give you more money and building your wealth quicker. So he continued his journey on the property investment rather than on the farming side. Is your family still in Cairo or have they moved over to where you are now? No, uh, they're actually all over the place. So I'm the only one in Australia, would you believe it? Uh, we've, got, we've got family uh, in, in various countries, but the bulk of our st- extended family is still back home in Egypt. He talks about the interesting reason behind his decision to leave Cairo and finish his education in London. And it has been very, very um, sort of um, massive change from my point of view. The reason behind it, obviously, as I mentioned to you, if you want to excel at what you do, you need to do that extra, that bit extra. And uh, my parents and I at the same time sort of thought, if you have a degree from a Western country, when I go back home, it has a little bit more weight to it than if I just graduated from uh, Egypt. And very similar to, you know, foreign students coming to Australia, get a degree and then go back home. Uh, It's more or less the same. So I thought, if I go to the UK, get more or less the same degree, if I decided to go back home, that degree will have a little bit more weight on it than if I'm graduated from a, a university in Cairo. So how long were you in London for? I spent just under seven years. Started with um, just, you know, looking around and whatever. And um, I wanted just to finish the degree and go back. But after I uh, finished, I wanted to do further study. And then I got a job with um, a construction firm in the city of London. So basically, I decided to stay. And then I met my wife, who is an Australian uh, person. And then she decided to come back to Australia and she dragged me to Australia. We delve into his time in London and find out what he was up to while he was still studying. When I arrived in London, as you know, you're not going to sort of delve into study straight away. Young guy uh, in London, the world is your oyster. So I did a little bit of a travel first where I stationed myself in the UK. I got a job just to pay the bills in hotels and restaurants and things like that. Um, then I would sort of travel to a number of countries in Europe. And then I, when I went back to the UK, I applied to continue my study. So they were kind enough to give me some credit towards a couple of years of my uni back home in Cairo. So I only had two years to finish to get my degree from the UK. 
which was quite helpful. In between, so I was studying between Monday and Friday, Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, I was working in a um, Swiss bistro in Leicester Square in London, if you know Leicester Square. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was full on, you know, studying full time and really working full time when you think about it, two and a half days, um, probably 10 hours Saturday, 10 hours Sunday, about four or five hours on Friday evening. That's about 25 hours a week. Plus my study was full on. With such a busy schedule between working and studying, we learn about how long it took him to finish his degree in the UK. Before moving to the UK in Cairo, I already have done three years in uni. So they've considered those three in the UK when I applied to become a student and join a uni there. They gave me one year credit towards my degree and I had two more years to do after the first year credit. So I only studied for two years, then I applied to do further studies after my uni. After studying for a degree in civil engineering, Nassim decided to stick to a career in that field and also moved around different jobs to see what he liked. Growing up in a, in a country like Cairo and also moving around and traveling, it gives you that mind of flexibility and you know, uh, you have to, and adaptability. You have to adapt to circumstances and changes and a new environment. So after I finished uh, my degree, it was in the heart of recession in the UK. So, and you had um, a number of universities spitting out all those qualified or highly qualified engineers and accountants and so forth. So it was fairly tough to, uh, to join the workforce. So I did uh, an IT and I did finance as well after I finished. Uh, I did it like a, a one year IT on finance, which is basically to do with programming as well as using financial mathematics and calculators and whatever, which is quite interesting and helped me quite a bit in my uh, career as well uh, down the track. And then at the time, would you believe it, the IRA dropped a bomb in the city of London, destroyed it. Oh no, gosh number of buildings and I created a few jobs for engineer and I joined Wimpy Constructions to work on one of the highest buildings in Bishopsgate in the city of London. How long was that project supposed to take? With big projects like uh, and particularly in the middle of big city like London where you have a lot of constraints in terms of construction, traffic and logistics and so forth, uh, it usually takes double the time if you're actually building exactly the same building where you have easy access. Okay, so that uh, that particular building was meant to take uh, six years. It ended up taking a lot longer just purely because of the geopolitical issues that surrounding um, London at the time. And when you have a bomb scare, for example, everything has to shut down and, you know, all that jazz. So it, it, it did uh, suffer a bit of delay. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Dan Nassim's journey and how he got started in property. Then the architect came and had a look on the side and he said, he looked at us and he said, you've got more than 1100 square meter in, in on the North Shore. Why? It's more than enough for a house. Have you thought about putting a duplex? How he and his wife grew their portfolio. So we can rent closer to the city, uh, living in one of the best buildings in Sydney at the time pay less rent, so pocketing about $250 a week, um, claim all the depreciation on two properties, not one, but two, 
help us build our property portfolio. And that's next. I'm Tyne Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Nassim talks to us about his time in London and what he was investing in over there and about his journey to Australia. In London, I actually was playing the share market, would you believe it? I had I developed quite a bit of interest in the, in the shares. Uh, I traded a lot of shares. I made money, lost money and so forth. And I didn't have that much money to get into the property in London. Um, I was just fresh out of uni, uh, basically not very easy to get a mortgage. Uh, and the property, obviously, prices in the UK was completely different league to, you know, uh, anywhere else, I would say. So I didn't really sort of develop that interest in property in London at the time purely because I just wasn't able uh, to, to do so. I didn't have the means and the money. Uh, so I just played the market, the share market there. When I came to Australia and settled with my wife and so forth, that was a little bit different. And the way we started in Property Investment Australia is actually very interesting as well. So we bought a, uh, like a home for us uh, to live in. And we bought, we, we bought an old home with the hope that we demolish and develop into something we really want. Um, that was my wife's dream to build something that, you know, you know what you're getting, you know, the, the layout, the color or whatever, you can design it the way you want according to your needs. And then we hired an architect to assist us with the process. Then the architect came and had a look on the side and he said, he looked at us and he said, you've got more than 1,100 square meter in, in on the North Shore. Why? It's more than enough for a house. Have you thought about putting a duplex? And then my wife and I looked at each other and we thought, that's not a bad idea. Tell us more. And then he proceeded to say, look, you know, I've, I've been helping clients uh, like yours in the area uh, to develop their big blocks of land into duplexes rather than a house. Uh, at the time, there was no kids, just my wife and I. And he said, look, you can build the Taj Mahal if you want on a, on a, <laughs> on a building site like this or a block like this, but uh, is that what you want? Uh, anyway, so we discussed it and we thought that's a great idea. We built the duplex, uh, we moved out obviously, and then we moved back in again. We rented the one next door. Um, and at the time, would you believe it, we got $1,100 a week rent uh, because it was five bedrooms, two living areas, formal, informal, whatever. Anyway, so we we thought, oh, that's that's pretty good. That's not bad at all investment. And that's how our investment journey started from there. So how long did that process take? Because obviously moving out, you'd have to find somewhere to live for a while. To be honest, the actual building itself took about uh, uh, 11 months to be exact. What took the time is the development application process with the council. Because when you build a duplex, you know, particularly in areas in the North Shore, they are very slow in approving, in approving such development. So once we got the DA in place and so forth, it didn't really take us much. 10, 11 months, we were back in the house. Throughout anyone's career, there will be times where things do not go according to plan. And we learn about that moment for Nassim. When we started our investment journey, obviously, as I mentioned to you, the duplex matter. In the middle of that, so we, uh, we were committed we had a mortgage on the land. 
we were in the middle of construction, so we were paying construction loan as well, and we had to move out, paying rent. And during all that, my wife was made redundant. So that was a scary time, I can tell you. So I can assure you I had many sleepless nights. Just the sort of commitments, you know, between paying a mortgage interest on a construction loan, rent, other financial commitments. It was just not a nice time for neither one of us. You didn't have any children at that point though, right? No, no. We had, yeah, I mean, that would have been even worse. But thank God it didn't really last very long. In a few weeks, my wife landed a job and sort of we we back to uh, we back to normal again. So, but it's just that degree of uncertainty that surrounding you know your commitment. You know, can you afford to carry on that finan- that massive financial burden in interest that you have to pay or not? That was scary. We find out about his thought process at that scary time in his life, and what were some of the possible solutions if things did not end up going to plan. We did think about it, to be honest, Tom. One one solution was we put the next door, the one that we were building next door on the market um, as a hassle land sort of package to sell it. Um, that way, it would have freed up a little bit of cash that coming uh, to us. We would have um, borrowed, I guess I could have borrowed from, you know, family or whatever just to tidy us until we finish and then rent and then the cash flow start to flow again. Um, but we sort of, we knew that my wife was also in finance and she was high up and at the time we knew that it, it, she will eventually get a job but the, we were not quite sure how long it will take her to find the job she wanted. So one, one option is was for her also to take a lower paying job which was uh, very, very feasible from her point of view. But, you know, we decided then that it's better to wait for her to get what she wants, the job she wants. Uh, it's a little bit hard to take a hit on your salary and your income or whatever after building up your career. But um, again, thank God itself, it worked out for us. Now, we dive into the moment that he realized that everything was beginning to fall into place for him and when he had his aha moment. It's also to do with the the example of the, the, what we're talking about now, the building the duplex, our first building that we've done, where after we moved into our home and then we wanted to rent next door and then we invited the real estate agents to give us appraisals or whatever and they've been able to rent it for that much every week. One of the estate agents looked at us and, you know, she's a lovely lady and she became a friend or whatever. She said, it's only the two of you and we've got heaps of people in the area looking for that type of development you did because a duplex, it's a little bit sort of, um, it's well designed, tiny, not a big yard, it's manageable. And she said there's a lot of older people who in the area wish to live in the area uh, but there's nothing of such development as the one you've done and they would be able to love to either buy it or rent in your area. Have you thought about, you know, renting yours and then moving into something a little bit smaller because we had in our side four bedrooms, two living area, one study, so it was still big for two people as well. Sorry, then we thought, oh, that's an interesting concept. We haven't really thought about it that way because we put a lot of, you know, design time and you know we imported some of the times from italy would you believe it you know at the time my wife my wife got a job in the city as i mentioned to you her new job and uh, from the north shore to to the city it wasn't too bad it was about 25 30 minutes on the train 
Um, anyway, we did a little bit of research. We thought, oh, we can actually move to St. Leonard's, rent a three-bedroom apartment with harbour view and water view for how much? Eight fifty. And it was one of those, you know, the, the Forum West on top of the station or whatever. So you take the lift from the apartment, you're literally in the train station. So in terms of lifestyle, anyway, you had, you know, we were young then and no kids or whatever. You had all the facilities uh, available to you, the swimming pool, the sauna, the gym and all that, concierge downstairs. So it was pretty good. So the hard moment came when we thought, hmm, so we can rent closer to the city. Uh, living in one of the best buildings in Sydney at the time, pay less rent, so pocketing about $250 a week, um, claim all the depreciation on two properties, not one, but two, help us build our property portfolio. And we may actually use that income, the extra income from our home, to go and borrow and invest more and do more. So that's, I would say, the aha moment, or I call it the light bulb moment, where we said, hmm, so why don't we use the taxman, uh, the tenant, as well as the bank to build our portfolio to such time when we're ready to settle and then we just live in one of those properties. Do you still have those properties today? I do. I did not, I did not sell one of them. We find out about when he and his wife purchased this amazing property. A year and a half after the Olympics. So the Olympics was 2000. We purchased it the middle of 2012. There is a particular reason why families are the ones that are mainly drawn to his property. That's unbelievable. But it was brand new. The way it was designed is just, it's a, it's a lovely property. And on that, don't forget, as I mentioned to you earlier, in that area, it's just not many of that development was available for rent in that area. And people, people were just queuing. Um, Tarana can tell you, since we had it, up to now, I have never had it empty for more than two weeks. So, inspired by David Nassim's journey and his amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss his strategy. You need to be very selective on the area and within that area of where you want to be and what you want to do as well. So, the type of development, the type of property as well as the area has a major, major impact on your long-term uh, portfolio. What he has learned throughout his property investing journey. I think that taught me so much about when you go and invest, do not look at the short term, have a long term view of what you want to do. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Invest Story. Hey, podcast listeners, thanks so much for listening to this episode. For taking the time to listen, I want to give you something a little special. Every episode that I do, I actually have someone on my team take notes. It's like a Cliff Notes version of every episode where you can find a summary of their backstory, tips and strategies they have laid out, all the resources they mentioned, all the good stuff from the episode. So, you can either SMS the word notes to 0499881040 or visit the website at propertyinvestory.com forward slash notes and leave your details and I'll simply email it to you. 
Thanks for listening.